This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Coming up on today's show, we're talking all things Diablo 4. Stick around. It's going to get dark. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am Andrea Renee, joined by one Brittany Brombacher. Hello. I like how you said Brombacher this time around. I feel like you kind of rolled off. Brombacher. Brombacher. I fucked up my own last name just now. Hello. Hello, friend. So it's just Britt and I this week because we are doing a very special Diablo 4 episode. And our girl, Rihanna Manuel Pena, has been busy doing other life things. And we wanted to kind of take point on this special episode. But don't worry. She'll be back for our eight ball episode coming Ooh. next week. That's right, everybody. The magic eight ball is coming back. But we have a really special episode, Britt. Oh, it's yeah. going to be so fun. Here we are. Diablo 4 is officially a thing that has released. I feel like you and I just yesterday, well, actually feels like yesterday. It was a million years ago. We're watching the debut trailer for it. Remember? Oh, my God. I was like, oh, I'm so excited yes. for this to come out, but it's going to take so long for it to get here. But we were up on that day, my friend. Oh, I'm so pumped. So Diablo 4, my most anticipated of 2023, from what we've played so far, hasn't let me down, but we're going to get into that in a little bit. I want to say thank you so much to this week's Patreon producers, or I should say this month's mm. Patreon producers. Chewie's Godson, Ferris Atia, Justin Foshi, and Punctified. If you want to join our Patreon community, you can do so at patreon.com slash what's good games. It helps us out, helps us keep the lights on, helps us keep hiring our amazing contractors. A shout out to our wonderful editing team and our behind the scenes admin team. We've got Doc, Stefan, and Annie all crushing it for us. So thank you so much to all of them for helping us bring the show to you. This week's episode is also brought to you by Shopify, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And Brett, as we say every week, it's okay if you don't have money to throw our way. That's all right. We just want a couple minutes of your time. Yeah, you know, you can leave us a lovely little five-star podcast review on your platform of choice. And I know I say that every week, and I think I always forget the only one we can really pull from is from Apple, but that's fine. We appreciate them everywhere. And yeah, you know, it really helps us out. As We say this every week, but seriously, sometimes, you know, we get those one-star reviews and while that might seem a little inconsequential, but they add up and it really does lower our ranking, which means we're lower in the algorithm. And that means not as many people find us. And then, you know, we just can't do cool things like have this rad interview that we're having this week with members from the Diablo 4 team, Andrea Renee. It's a really fun interview, too. Before we dive into the interview, we just want to let everybody know, because we're recording this episode in advance, we aren't going to be talking about the news of the week. With Summer Game Fest and the Xbox Showcase and the Ubisoft Forward and other things happening, 
next week. There may be some announcements. If there are some big ones, don't worry. We'll cover them in the Magic 8-Ball episode. Speaking of which, if you guys have certain predictions or things you want us to talk about in that episode, or if you have a specific question for the Magic 8-Ball, please send it to whatsgoodgames.com slash dearwgg. That's whatsgoodgames.com slash dearwgg. Let us know if you have a question for the 8-Ball and our very fun annual episode will be coming out next week. A lot of busy things happening over the next couple of weeks. How is that next week already? (laughs) I know. It's sort of wild to think about, but I'm, my body is ready. I'm ready. For the non- E3, E3 that's happening. The key threes. I, I feel like this we gotta, is the We gotta one, really solidify what we're calling this the key three. thing. I, think, I like the key three. I feel like this is gonna be the one event a year our bodies can handle now. You know, now that we're like husks of a human. So I'm excited to go all out and then I know we're gonna be absolutely wrecked by the time it's over, but it's gonna be glorious and I'm so excited. Yes, absolutely. But it's gonna be worth it. Yep. Hashtag worth it. All right, but we're not talking about the key threes right now. We're talking about Diablo 4 and all things Diablo 4. So we're going to introduce this amazing interview. And then after the interview, Britt and I will be back to give you guys our air quotes review. Because y'all know we don't do proper reviews here. But our hands-on impressions with what we've played of Diablo so far And it's going to be, oh man, we have a lot to say. So before we get to that, it was amazing to welcome to the show the general manager of all things Diablo, Rod Ferguson, along with Ash Sweetring Vicky, the Dungeons producer of art and design from the team of Blizzard who have been working on Diablo 4 for quite a while now. And we had a fantastic conversation with them about what they've been working on, their roles at the team. And we even got some some spicy moments at the end of that interview. It was a fun one. So take a listen, everybody, and we'll be back right after it. What's good, everybody? Andrea Renee here, along with my co-host, Brittany Brombacher, and some very special guests for a very special interview about all things Diablo 4, please welcome to the show the general manager of all things Diablo, Rod Ferguson. Hey, how you doing? And also joining us is the Dungeons producer of art and design, it's Ash Sweetring Vicky. Hello, my friends. Hello. It's nice to see you all. We're so glad that you both could join us on the show today. We have been planning this interview behind the scenes for literally months now, <laughs> trying to get your guys' very busy schedules in line with our really weird mom schedules. <laughs> So we're glad that we could finally make this happen. And it's on launch day. Woo! That's right. I know we're recording this in advance, and you guys are probably incredibly exhausted, but you're, (laughs) like, at the finish line. It's got to feel good, right? It's amazing. The energy in the building and the energy on the team is just fantastic. You know, the team has been putting their hearts into this game for years now. And so to have it just about, well, today is the day, I guess. It's like to have it right here that we've been talking to the fans with quarterly blogs and dev live streams and listening to their feedback. And and now to be able to give this gift to them of, you know, it's as much theirs as it is ours. And so getting them to being able to go into the game and visit Sanctuary is is amazing. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that building right now. I mean, here you are, like, you did it. It's out. Like, are people popping champagne and partying, having dance parties? It's in the air. There really is something very special in the air. And I think anybody going into the main campus can feel it. It's contagious and it's energetic. It's it's an unreal feeling, really. We're very excited. Have you ever been part of a launch this big before, Ash? No, I come from a mobile development background, so I actually have quite a few titles under my name. I think this will be my 18th one release, Ooh, but this wow. is my biggest title by far and my first AAA. 
It's a really big deal. I've always wanted to work here and especially having the opportunity to work on a franchise that's one of my favorites in the entire universe. It feels like it's so silly. All my dreams are coming true though. It, it feels like a gothic horror fairy tale, but it's it's a wonderful <laughs> gothic horror fairy tale and I'm just taking in as much of it as I can every day. Oh yes, we're going to get into just how dark this game is in just a little bit, but Rod, do you even know how many games you've launched? It's got to be hundreds, right, at this point? No, I would love that. But no, I mean, I basically, I went back, I think it was when I first joined Blizzard, I kind of went back and looked at my career, but anything I touched in a meaningful way, like helped to ship. And it worked out to be about, it's about a game a year. It's like 24 years and about 23, 24 games. And so on average, like when I was at the coalition, we did five games in six years. I've been at Blizzard for three and a half years. We're going to be shipping three games. So it kind of averages out over my career about a game a year. That is still like... That's a lot. Now that I said hundreds and I'm looking back at it, I'm like, what are they doing? Shipping a game like every two months? Like, come on, what's happening? That's, yeah, yeah, just banging out those browser games or something. I don't know. That, no, that's what it is. It's like a six-month turnaround in most mobile app development. It's a quick turnaround. Well, the fastest I think we ever did was two years, Gears 1 to Gears 2. I think it was two years, but, uh, you know, because like 15 of that 24 was just on Gears of War. I've been very fortunate that most if not all the games I've worked on have been AAA, which I've really enjoyed. Although we've done, you know, a mobile game for Gears Pop and obviously Diablo Mortal, but the notion of generally speaking, this is kind of the world I play in and, and I love it. And even for me, who's been doing this for, like I said, 24 years, this is this is somewhat unprecedented. You know, the, the size of the team, the size of the game, the size of the marketing that we're doing. We've just, last week, we put out the gameplay trailer and then the story trailer and then the live action trailer. And we're not even done yet. Like, We've got more stuff coming, and it's driving home at night. I watched the Welcome to Hell Irvine bus stop, you know, things, and 3D out-of-home sort of billboards in New York and, and Las Vegas. And you can feel Diablo is here and is present, and, and we have some really great partnerships. And there's a lot of cool stuff coming, too, that I can't wait for people to see. But So even for me, this is, this is something special. My favorite piece of the Diablo marketing that I've seen, I don't think even was intentional. There's all these stills of the Barbie movie trailer. <laughs> <laughs> the fun! Of the foot, and then underneath that was an advertisement for Diablo, and it it's is the funniest perfect. thing ever. <laughs> if there was any sort of moment that would align more, that like under <laughs> under taste of what our brands align to, it's the perfect moment. Rod, you even tweeted at Mattel. I'm trying to get them to respond. I wanted Mattel to respond, so I'm like, come on, Lilith Barbie. I know, yes. and an Arius Ken. Oh I'm my like, gosh, this is right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'll take 10. Yes, the wholesome Diablo brand that's very safe for children, of course. No, I was glad you guys brought this up because I was scrolling on Twitter this morning and I follow this man who works in video game marketing and he commented on how massive the budget for the Diablo campaign must be because like it's literally everywhere. I can't turn around and not see something from the Diablo marketing campaign. And he's like, I guess it worked. I've pre-ordered the game twice already. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, what we want to hear. Like that was that's the intention. And and the thing that's been really interesting for us is you know, when you look at a franchise that's been around for 26 years, that is with the games that our audience or, or core audience has kind of been aging with us. And so one of the things that's sort of a franchise strategy is we've been trying to reach younger players to grow that audience. And so part of that is 
you see that in the strategy of the last three games, like Diablo 2 Resurrected is sort of bringing the classic back, re-energizing that core. We brought it to consoles so that the younger players tend to be on consoles. So it was a great opportunity to expose them to D2R. And then we do Immortal, which is this free-to-play mobile game. So now we can reach tens of millions of people where they are because, you know, of the 3.2 billion gamers, most of them are mobile. So, we, you know, having that opportunity for them to experience Diablo was great. And then the same thing for Diablo 4. We've been taking seriously looking at how we market Diablo 4 for that younger audience too. It's why Diablo now has a TikTok channel and why <laughs> we've used Billie Eilish in our trailer and why we've used Halsey in our trailer and why we had a partnership with Halsey for the Game Awards. Those are strategic things about around wanting to make sure that we appeal to as broad an audience as possible. And I do want to mention one thing about the marketing too. This is pretty cool for me. So my grandma plays video games. She's 83 years old. Oh, wow. And she has been a Diablo fan since day one. And obviously, like, as she's gotten older, it's harder for her to keep up with, like, the latest and greatest. But even she has been hit by the amazing Diablo marketing. And she talked to me the other day. She's like, oh, there's a new Diablo coming out. And I'm like, yes, Grandma, there is. So she's also very, very excited. Please tell me you're going to play co-op with your grandma in this game. I would love to. I hope I can. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love it. Play couch co-op and send pictures. That's what we want. We want to see people playing. Absolutely. I know. We keep trying to get Britt's grandma on the show. But. But um, you're still holding out hope we're going to do it someday. So before we dive into our thoughts on uh, what's happening with the game and have some questions for you guys specifically about the development of the title, I'd love for everybody who's watching and listening to the show to kind of hear a little bit about what your roles are at the studio. So we can start with you, Rod, because, you know, as the GM of all things Diablo, you know, you kind of have like this top-down purview of what's happening on the team. But what does a general manager do exactly? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that I'm sort of playing a double role right now because when I first joined Blizzard, I was brought in as what they call the executive producer for Diablo 4. And it was meant to, it's kind of different that Blizzard uses executive producer as sort of the studio head, as the person who's running the game and running the business of the game as well. And when I came in, one of the things that we had, we had Diablo 3 and Diablo Immortal and Diablo 2 Resurrected. It made a lot of sense to sort of shift to a franchise model. And so with that, I became general manager of the entire, you know, like I like to say, all things Diablo, all four games. And But I never gave up that executive producer role on Diablo 4. So I've sort of been doing both. And so as general manager, I'm sort of overseeing everything we're doing, whether it be comic books and statues to the four games and what we're doing. And Barbies, of course. And Barbies, of course. <laughs> um, and, uh, but then as executive producer, I'm sort of go much deeper on, on Diablo 4 itself and helping to make sure that the team has what they need. We have a very competent, strong team, which is great. And so I'm kind of trying to get out of the way or at least clear a path for them as they go to execute on, you know, delivering an awesome game. So that's basically my day-to-day is just cut as much red tape as I can. Seems like an important job, at least for yeah. your employees. I mean, I would want someone helping me by cutting the tape for me so I don't have to do it, <laughs> right? So Ash, let's talk about your role, because you have a very interesting title that I think is, I mean, sounds like a really cool job, to be quite honest. The Dungeons Producer of Art and Design. So what what does that mean? Do you just only work on dungeons all the time? Kind of. Dungeons is a part of the environment pipeline within the Diablo 4 realm. And so we are considered an environmental group, environmental artists and designers. As a producer, my responsibilities usually like formally include overseeing resources and assets in the way that there's multidisciplinary pipelines and so just being able to track those and really follow everything along with its progress to ensure that our teams are able to sync up successfully and work on things in contingency is a big part of my role but that also could look like the form of task management there's like dungeon reviews which are really really great they're exactly as you would imagine where 
our entire team gets together and we all get to hop into a Zoom and look at all the dungeons that we've made. And we give each other feedback and critiques. And it's, they're actually some of the more fun meetings that we have. We really enjoy doing those. But really just acting like as a source of help for any of my artists or my designers that are looking to receive anything from me. And being a real big like roadblock eliminator and bottleneck remover is my biggest role. To be a fly in the wall on those Zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the production team here is great. And one of the things we really focus on is predictability and transparency. And so that was something we really wanted to make sure that was in part of our process. And so we do a lot of what we call sort of data-driven production. And so that's what Ash is really helping to fulfill on that team is being able to understand how much work are we signing up for for this milestone and how do we burn that work down and what's going to make it, what's not going to make it, what are we trading in, trading out, how do we triage those choices. So it's not just, you know, sometimes people hear producers being this, you know, clipboard person just going done not done and that's not it at all and so what ash is really she's empowering the talent under her to be able to get their stuff done but she's also being able to communicate upwards that status so that we can make good decisions and know hey three months down the road we may not be able to get this done or we could do more so what else are we adding so it's a super critical role and ash is great at it the first time i think it was a preview or it was a developer interview it was something months and months and months ago and ash you were on it and i remember when i heard what your title was i thought I don't really want to get into the development side of video games, but if I ever did, damn, that's what I would want to do. I think that is so cool what you do. And as someone who loves environmental storytelling as a player, I'd love to know, like, how did you get into that role? Is that something that you've always had a particular fascination with? My goodness. So I started my career about eight years ago, and I started in QA, as a lot of other developers actually start their roles. I started as a contract QA, and I worked my way up. I actually then made the transition into being what they called an embedded QA tester. And so I was embedded with an art team and focused primarily on testing their materials and stuff. I actually kind of sort of made the position for myself because I started predicting what the art team was sending down the pipeline much more in advance than what QA would normally test. And I would actually get in there and try to task out stuff and fix things before it actually got to QA. And they created it then an AP position for me, which is an associate producer position. Now here with Blizzard, I'm a game producer looking to move up to senior hopefully in the next hey, yeah. wish me luck. but yeah it really is a dream come true really it's like every day I come into work and I know that I'm going to be having this puzzle and just this opportunity to help lots of people and make a really great product for everybody and it's really kind of gratifying just knowing how much I'm putting back into the project and how much I'm helping everybody every day the game is massive obviously I don't have to tell either of you that you're aware <laughs> you're also aware of all the things you cut I just can't even imagine how many things you've cut knowing how many things made it into the game. I was making a list of just all of the kind of like persistent events that you can just kind of drop in and drop out of, out of the world. And it just feels like at some point the feature list has got to end eventually, right? Like how do you make those decisions about what features you're going to make sure get into the game and what have to go? One of the great things about this with Diablo, you know, being a game that we're going to support for years to come, like we'd like to talk about the launches, the beginning, not the end. And so we're building this foundation to build upon. And so if you go back 20 years ago when I was first doing games, you'd be, oh, we're cutting this and it's gone forever. And now we're able to, we don't talk about just like whether what's in or what's out. We can also talk about what will we bring later. And so knowing that we're going to have seasons every quarter and then knowing that we're going to have expansions, we're able to look at that and go like, hey, 
maybe this isn't the right time. You know, it was one of the risks when we share lots of our development process, like we did with our blogs after our announced in 2018, is people saw some conversation around Moonwards, as an example. And as we were implementing that and going through that, and so we talked about it, we recognized that actually this isn't going to be the best version we want it to be. This isn't going to be as strong as we think it could be if we had more time. And so rather than going like, okay, Moonwords are gone forever. We're never going to deliver those. Sorry about that. It's actually about like, okay, well, when is the right time? We can bring them back later. And so it's been, it's very kind of comforting as a creative to be able to go like, oh, no, no, we're not killing it. We're just postponing it, which is nice. And so we always focus on quality. And so what you want to do is I'd rather ship something small and highly polished than something big and mediocre. And so what we're always talking about is it's not just about the time it takes to put it in. You have to think about the time it takes to test it, the time it takes to polish it and those sorts of things. And so we're really focused on trying to create a sort of a tight game that is highly polished and high quality. And that's what we were focused on. So are you calling Diablo 4 at launch small? <laughs> Thank you, Andrea. I was going to say the same thing. Like a small tight game? Oh, no, sir. <laughs> well, it's a, a game we were able to polish and get to quality. It's the size we could get to quality. As someone who's played, you know, a, a good chunk of it, you know, thank you so much for providing mm-hmm. us access. It's not a small game by any means, but I can definitely <laughs> see, you know, where it could absolutely go and all the things that could be potentially added to it. But I mean, there's there's a lot. If you guys didn't play, if you're listening, you didn't jump into the like the server slam weekend or were in the you know any of the beta periods, like it's a big game. There's a lot it to is. do. <laughs> We well, had a, Andrea and our friend from Kind of Funny, Joey, had a really fun moment a couple nights ago. I guess it was last week by the time this comes out. Anyway, we went on a girls' trip down the west coast of Sanctuary into the level 45-plus area. Oh, yeah. Uh, we literally were like, just keep running. We're like, just go all the way out to the water, and then we're just going to like road trip down the coast together and see what nice. we find. And turns out we found a lot of people that were very high level and a lot of gear that had the little chain lock on it. And we're like, no. <laughs> We found a major fortress, and we succeeded, but it, boy, it, was, it was a hot mess. But God, it was so much fun. And yeah, I think that's something about Diablo that we say a lot in What's Good Games. It's a lot of games try to, what's that saying? Always replicated, never whatever the fuck it is. Often matter. imitated, never duplicated. Imitated, never duplicated. Thank you, Andrea. That's it. And I think not only like is this game massive, Rod, massive, and so well done, and it feels so well balanced, but God, it's a co-op game. You just don't get a lot of multiplayer games like this. And we just playing with Andrea and Joey the other day, like, that was some of the most fun I've had playing a cooperative game. And so I guess I would just love to hear from you guys, too, like, knowing that so many folks are going to rely on this game to be multiplayer, not only local, but online, like, how does that shape the development of this sort of game? I mean, obviously, it's a huge part of what we wanted to have accomplished. You know, we know that Diablo is... I always say, like, everything's better as a shared experience. You know, that's why we get married, is we, or, you know, we share our lives with other people. That's like, just human existence is better than a shared experience. And I think that's true for gaming, too. And the notion of being able to do couch co-op, the notion that we have cross-play, meaning that you don't all have to be on the same platform, that you can have a console, PlayStation playing with an Xbox, playing with a PC, two people on the couch, all that sort of thing. It's really impactful about how we wanted to make sure that people could play together. And it wasn't even just that connectivity. It was even stuff you may have seen around the way we do the scaling of levels. You know, if you're playing Diablo 3 as an example, 
and say Ash was level 40 and I'm level 3 and when I joined Ash to play together I would rely on Ash to kill everything and I'd be hiding in the corner saying please don't hurt me <laughs> right and, yeah. um, but in Diablo 4 we both can go in and play together and the monsters look like level 40 to her and the monsters look like level 3 to me and so I'm able to contribute and play right away and then I can sort of I'll level up a little bit faster and start to catch up to her and so it's a great sort of way to play co-op you don't have to be at the exact same level at the exact same time to have a good time you can actually be you know mismatched from a level yeah, perspective. Yeah, bridges that, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It bridges that area that, and nobody was necessarily asking for that. We all love a good power level trip, right? I'll hang through any of those grinds. But there's something about not having to rely on being the person sitting in the corner while my friend goes through and clears everything so I can gather all the experience that's left over. And on top of that, additionally, we're doing crossover on every platform. And everywhere you can buy Diablo 4, it's available. And I think that that's even bigger, that we've taken into consideration that this is a PC game, a console game, cross-platform game. Uh, Really, we want you to just play with as many people as possible. Find all those friends online and let's play Diablo together. (laughs) I love that that as a mission. That's great. Well, it's about choice. Like one of the things when we talk about, we say the biggest thing about Diablo 4 is about freedom of choice. We wanted you to have choice in who you were as a character. So like in the previous games, you know, your gender and your ethnicity was tied to your class. And then in Diablo 3, okay, we separate gender, but you still, you're a white-haired barbarian. You don't have any choice. And now in Diablo 4, you can change your body type. You can change what you look like. You can change, make the character yours. You don't have to be a Mount Aria barbarian. You can be a different type of barbarian if you want to. And then you have the choice of skills. You have the choice of gear and what you look like. You also have the choice of how to engage in the story with, do you want to play it linearly or non-linearly? Do you want to go explore? Do you want to stay on the main golden path? And then do you want to play solo, which you can do, or you can play with your friends, or you can play with strangers hoping to find new friends, and then pick what platform. So like, when you look at all the things we really looked at for Diablo 4, it was really about how do we provide as much choice as possible for the player. But don't you get, you know, analysis paralysis at a point? Am I the only one that gets, like, decision fatigue? I mean, when you go to the Cheesecake Factory and it's 40 pages of menu, <laughs> you're never going to be able to decide. We were, we were talking about this last night because I was having... I was stuck in my menus when we were playing together, and I was like, just need a few more minutes to just, I'm going through this armor, I gotta figure out which one I'm gonna keep, like, how I'm gonna min-max my stats, because Brittany and I were lamenting to each other about how, in a really deep RPG like this that has really fun gear, you get to a point where you're like, I have two pieces of legendary gear, each one has really cool stats, but they're different, and I don't want to get rid of them, but which <laughs> one do I wear? <laughs> no, I want to wear them both. Well, that's the that's one of the new features of Diablo 4 is you can actually extract that legendary power off, put it into your vault, or put it onto another piece of equipment. We've never had that flexibility in making a build before where you can go, oh, the, the power in these boots are great, but I wish they were in my gloves. And you can actually move them there so that you can put on a different pair of boots. So what you're speaking to, I think, in terms of the complexity is really about what does it mean for a new player to come to Diablo. And that is something we worked really hard on is that we wanted to make sure that we were making something that the hardcore, the people who've been with us for the last 26 years could really enjoy that sort of the depth of systems. But we also wanted to reach a whole bunch of new players who'd never maybe even heard of Diablo before. And so that's when you go into the prologue. The prologue is a handcrafted experience for you. And initially it wasn't. It was, hey, it's an open world game. You wake up in a cave, go. And then people encountered what you were talking about, which is like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what I'm doing. I have this analysis paralysis, you said. And now it's this notion of we know that you're going to turn level two in town 
because you'll be safe and nothing attacking you and you can take your time to read the tree and, and understand the skills and you'll pick your one skill and off you'll go. And, and we, we kind of increment you through all of that because we know that the way you process complexity and depth is better over time. And so we don't try to do that to you in the first five levels or what it's like Paragon as a super complex system doesn't even start to level 50. And by that time, we're hopefully you're more comfortable with how all the systems work. And so that notion of giving you this onboarding that's been crafted to onboard you and as well as kind of smoothly add complexity and depth over time, we're hoping that new players won't get analysis paralysis. There, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I'm thinking about the Paragon board and all the skills. My husband's playing as a necromancer, and he has like eight skeletons on the screen at any given time. Yes. And the golem, and we were playing local co-op. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I, I don't, I I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> a little I told, overwhelmed. <laughs> I tell my brother that too. He's like, so which, what, what are we playing together? I'm like, I'm going to save Necro for solo. You don't need to. You don't need all Wait, that on your screen. Bless you, sir. <laughs> Maybe you can send a message to my husband. Cause I don't know what's going on. But you know. It's interesting because you mentioned the beginning of the game and we were talking about this earlier about how dark Diablo is and I feel like man you're just in that game and bam shit's dying things are bad people are getting drugged people are trying to sacrifice you like why so dark why such a dark tone I mean honestly like I love it I did I've seen the sunshine I think once in Diablo 4 I was like oh this game is so colorful and pretty and then it was like boom everything is bloody and dead again uh, I'll give you the high level, and then Ash can talk about like how that was, okay. we applied that to dungeons. But the notion around like that was actually part of our internal motto, if you will, like our vision statement for the game that we never sort of made public. But it was this idea of return to darkness, and the reason we didn't really use it publicly too much was because it's self-referential. It means you have to know what came before to get it. But it was this idea that we really wanted to kind of reach back to Diablo 1 and Diablo 2 and, and the idea when the game was like the occult game that your parents shouldn't know about or whatever. We wanted to go back and harken back to that sort of darkness of tone and theme. And part of it is has to do with like, where are we today in pop culture? When you look at things like Walking Dead and Squid Game and Game of Thrones, this notion that darkness and dark tones and themes are mainstream now. They're not niche. They're, they're something that everybody enjoys today. And so that was what helped us feel comfortable going back to those dark tones. And in fact, that was the real test. If you look at 2019, that cinematic we played by Three They Come, that was the first real public expression of that tone. And the team was sort of on pins and needles watching the reaction to uh, that. To yeah, be like, because it's <laughs> gruesome. It's exactly. a, such a gruesome cinematic. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what, like, is it going to work? Is it too much? Did we go too far? Is it, you know, and so when everybody sort of embraced it and loved it, it was like, oh, we feel good. And that actually became a touchstone <laughs> for us. We feel good. A, yeah, we feel good. And yeah, so, I get it. so anytime we had questions about, like, are we going far enough? Do we, do we go too far? We would sort of watch by three they come and go, okay, this is our reminder of where we want to be kind of tonally. And so it was a great way to think about it. And and But that's part from the story perspective. So when you think, Ash, about the dungeons, how do you think about the bringing uh, that sort of darkness? To I it? mean, even just the darkness in, in general, there's a sort of beauty and captivation that comes behind it, right? There's a real allure and there's a real reason that like characters like Lilith are so alluring and charming and you want to know more about her. She's, is she charming? She came from a... Is she? <laughs> I, I'm pretty charmed I'd by her. So. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's something that craves more knowledge and more information about this character and this this thing that's talking to me and the one blue eye the one gray eye like she's so complex but overall there's a lot of beauty and inspiration that we're finding from the darkness and that we're doing that we also find tons of inspiration from the actual real world around us too we just had a conversation about working on a particular tile set where we sent somebody off to go 
kind of study what in cave sounds like and like the sound of doing particular things inside of the cave. And we're finding a lot of just information in that in general. And and really, it's beautiful understanding that this is the way that our Earth actually sounds, hears, feels, like, looks. And, and that's one of the biggest things of inspiration for us. But it is a pretty gruesome title. And it's not but just it's gruesome. Awesome. Like, there's, like, some pretty emotional moments. Like, I... You know, still very vividly remember my playthrough of the Eternals collection from Diablo 3 when I was playing it on Switch. And, like, I mean, that game is obviously not nearly as dark as this game, but I didn't, like, remember feeling, like, really, like, emotional stirrings from any of the narrative that happened in that game. But I got to a a story campaign mission with Donan, and I'm going to keep it you know, vague for, for right, everybody. Right, but right. there was this moment with him and, you know, some demons and stuff. And I was just like, it like really got me. I like had like a, a tear fall. And I was it just like, what's emotions. happening to me? I'm playing Diablo <laughs> and I'm crying? What's going You're on? You're a mother now, Andrea. That's I know. <laughs> that's a big, that's like really, the, that's really why. It well, was, and we really want that too, right? <sighs> I think that there's something really compelling about stories that can provoke those feelings inside of you. And yeah. on top of that, kind of like we had touched on earlier, like provoke those feelings and then realize, oh, well, there's still a war. I'm still just the Nephilim and I'm confused and I don't know what's going on and stuff. So there's no real like light necessarily at the end of the tunnel. And it gives you that encouragement to kind of keep fighting towards maybe one day finding the light and maybe it'll just continue being the same sanctuary that we've known for the last hundreds of years. The goal to take storytelling up a notch is really, it was a part of this. Like that was, we went in with that goal that we wanted this to be the best story and the, and the most well-told story in the Diablo series. And one of the things that really empowered that beyond sort of great writing and great acting was the technology advancements that we were able to, for the first time, have different ways of telling the story from what we call simple conversation, which is basically the cameras doesn't change, people just talk, to what we call complex conversations where you can push in a little bit and there may be bespoke animations and they'll move around, but it's still isometric to real-time cinematics, which are you know full cinematics done in engine, and then pre-rendered like you see by three they come at the beginning of the game. What real-time cinematics really allows us to do for the first time is to put your character in the story. Before, like all the stories, whether D2 and D3, they couldn't, they were all pre-rendered, and so they didn't know what your character looked like, what armor you were wearing, and such. So they couldn't put them in the story. They were always sort of watching the story from afar. Well, now, you're in the story. You can see your character from the opening, riding that you know the freezing horse along the mountains to your confrontation with Anarius. It's you, and you know it's you talking and you in that in that story. And so that level of immersion we've never had before, where you're able to see yourself grounded in the story, was really a way we're bringing the series forward. I mean, it definitely helps with immersion when I get to see my very cool all purple rogue <laughs> outfit that I explicitly <laughs> made everything purple. <laughs> yes. I make everything blue. I totally understand. <laughs> something I really appreciate that the team has always done, I feel like particularly in this one, because of that extra cinematics and whatnot, is that you can jump into this game knowing nothing of Diablo lore and still follow what's going on. And I think a lot of that, again, and props to you, Ash, the environmental storytelling, the dungeons. I just love 
love walking around this world and every NPC I come across, I feel like it's not just a blank slate. They have something interesting to say that adds. And so I know what is the state of this town or what is the state of this world. So I just think uh, really well done to everyone who worked on that because I think this is the first Diablo game where I feel like I am in this and I can follow everything that's going on. Because I know Diablo has such a rich story and so much lore there. But, you know, I don't read all the, the physical Book of Canes and whatnot that and I know. Inarius right? Who cares <laughs> about that guy? <laughs> yeah. So if anyone who hasn't played Diablo 4, though, and they're listening to this and they're like, well, I've never played before. Should I hop in? Do you have any words of encouragement or advice you'd give them? My one number one is, like, <laughs> don't be scared of the four. Like, just don't be scared of the four. Like, the, the notion that... Everything you need to know about the story in the game is told to you in the story in the game. That we put Diablo 4 50 years ahead of Diablo 3 for a reason, and that's to create some separation so you don't have to know 1, 2, and 3 to play 4. It kind of stands on its own. But 50 years is also just short enough to create some connectivity to the past for those that have been with the franchise, like Lorath. Lorath was in Diablo 3, and he's a central character in Diablo 4. But you don't need to know who Narius is. You don't need to know who Lilith is. You can go in, and we explain that to you. But my number one thing, whenever people talk like, I'm new to Diablo, I'm like, don't be scared of the 4. It's okay. And first off, Brittany, thank you so much for that compliment. Holy shit, that is the nicest thing in the entire world. Thank you for just kind of taking the time to understand that. It's really special anytime our artists, our designers, really get that acknowledgement on that kind of stuff. They work really hard for it. So thank you. I, I will absolutely be passing that over to them. As somebody, I'm a baby Diablo 3 player. I, I didn't play anything before Diablo 3. And so that was my first entry into the series as a whole. And that's when I like invested that love and I went back. So as somebody who is still, I would consider myself new to the series. I mean, without being like a developer and stuff. It is so friendly for somebody who doesn't have any experience to be able to come in and really enjoy this story with us. Like, really just settle in. You know it's a Blizzard game. You're going to be getting a compelling story and compelling campaign, and it's just going to totally suck you in. And I think that we took a lot of leeways with accounting for those types of players as we're moving through. We wanted to make sure we said we want to make a game for somebody who's coming on mid-maxing inside of the game, and they want to do the top and the bottom. But we also want to make the game for players like Ash who get lost in the wilderness and get so excited when they see the deer eating the berries in Sanctuary, <laughs> you know? We, we're we taking into account all those different types of players as we're playing this game. And I think that that's going to be very quickly picked up upon because you'll feel it. Everybody who plays the game will feel that way. Words had so much more, you know, oomph with the snoring corgi in the background, like just going through. It's so amazing hearing, hearing, hearing her talk with like little snores going on in the background. I forgot that you that your dog was there. I was like, I did hear it from time to time, and I was like, what is that noise? It was just, it's my power power base. That's the thing that's motivating me. Sorry about that. No, it's it's wonderful. Uh, we love pets here at, at WGG. I love that Brittany put this question in our show notes because yeah. we are very curious who comes up with the names for all of the sellers because we kept running by them being like, look at it, it's another nasty hole. <laughs> you know? Nice like how ruined. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Buckeye Joe, what? Are they all individually, like, hand-named, or is it, like, they procedurally are, generated? They are. So no, good. we hand-name everything. We have a purpose and a reason for everything. Um, and sometimes that purpose and reason is just something silly that we pulled inspiration from. And, oh, the cavern looks like it has fangs, and it's an ice cave, so it's going to be ice cavern. It, it, we really pull it from anything, but I think it's really cool that you called that out, because there are even some scenarios where 
we'll find little tiny things that we pull inspiration from. For example, inside of one of our environmental exterior dungeons. So that's kind of for when you're, you look like you're on the outside of the world, but you're still inside of a dungeon. So it's on just taking place on the outside. You'll see these hand paintings that we have of each of the priests that were taken place from the church that it takes place in. And at one point we wanted to paint in all of our artists on the actual face of that so that they're like <laughs> cemented as Easter eggs and just little priests inside the game. That's the type of attention that detail that we're putting into that kind of stuff. We, we name things intentionally. We take the time to name each little ivy berry that you picked up all over the world, it's thought through. I'm super obsessed with the game. I think my my big problem with this game is, first, why'd you bury the mounts so deep in the campaign? <laughs> I, I keep going through the world, and then somebody <laughs> passes by me on a horse, and I'm like, where's the horses? I just need to get my horses online. I told myself, if I did not bring this up, that it would be the biggest regret of the year, but I've always told myself that we will get Horsey of the Year nomination by the What's Good Game podcast <laughs> with Diablo 4. Yes. I swear it up and down, if we don't see their names in your guys' final year review, we we're going to get a letter. I am right Writing to you today for final horsey. <laughs> yes. The mounts are really great, but also considering like it, they do come later in the campaign for people because we still want to offer that opportunity for you to follow along with the campaign. And we know what happens when you get a mount in any game, right? You blow all over the place and then you're not paying attention to anything anymore. It's new. It's fresh. Figure it out. Like learn and grow and then we'll give you your mount later and you could blow through everything later and it'll be great. And once you unlock it on one, you unlock it on all. So, like, once you get your horsey, as Ash would say, once you get your horsey yes. on your first character, then when you, any characters you roll, whether in that season or future, like, you'll have access to your mount. So you just have to oh, do it once. Oh, that's good. It's okay. the same thing with the campaign. When you play, Once you play the campaign through once uh, on any characters you've completed on your account, and so you can skip the campaign on any character moving forward if you want to as you go into seasonal content. Yeah, I noticed that there was a lot of things in the overworld, like Renown system, that do give you bonuses for rolling multiple characters. Do you think that I should just become a full-time Diablo 4 streamer? Is that what a, is that my new path in life? Because I, I don't know how I'm going to have time to roll all of these classes. I'm already having trouble what I'm going to do with my main between the press preview, the beta, and now the review build. I've tried three different classes. I still don't know which one I'm going to go with. Dedicate. You must dedicate. <laughs> yeah, the, the full-time Diablo streamer sounds great to me. I think that sounds awesome. I was the same way. I like I'm a necromain, and so I tried to stay away. I played a little bit, but I tried to stay away from necro to not get tired of it through all the, you know, because you can spend a lot. Like it's interesting that the tests were basically of just fractured peaks, which is one of five regions, it's, and it only encompasses the first act of the game. And people were spending twenty plus hours in just this one little area. And so it, there's a lot to do, as we talked about at the beginning. It's, it's, a, it's a massive game. But, yeah, trying to find that. Everybody has their, like, what are they going to start with and where are they going to go from there? But I'm definitely... And I'm actually doing the thing where, like, all my... Okay, solo, I'm a necro. With my brother, I'm going to be a druid. With my sons, I'm going to be a sork. Like, I'm having to line up, like, pairings of people with class, class types. Where's the barbarian love, Rod? Uh, that's a good He's point. I mean, I'll, you, I'll get there eventually. Uh. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I have been I've been nonstop. I'm a barbarian main on Immortal, and I've been playing that since okay. for a year now. So I've been a hardcore bar whirlwind barbarian in, in Immortal. So that's why I was kind of like now that I I got my necro tattoo. I've got my I'm ready to represent as, as necro in D4. I was about to say it's it, it's a little funny hearing Rod talk about this because he he speaks like he's non. It, it's not a big deal. I'm a necro main. Everybody knows Rod is a necro main. <laughs> Everybody knows what Rod's favorite class is. And every 
everybody knows why the necromancer is so strong right now. Just coincidence. And why you can have eight skeletons. Okay, wow. taking notes. Yep. Necromane, it's OP until they nerf it. Oh, no, no As nerfs. There's no nerfs out. Yes, that's what I like to hear. No nerfs ever. Everybody was like, I can't believe in Server Slam they were so quick to fix the, the, the necroskeletons. How did that happen so quickly? And I'm like, oh, I can tell you. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now I see. I thought it was gonna go rogue, and then I was sorcerer was my number one pick, and then I tried rogue, and then I was like, okay, well now I've got now how, how do I pick? But now you're telling me I gotta go necro. Okay, so basically I have to roll like four characters. Yeah. They're all, like, Why all start five. there? Do druid next. Why stop? It, yeah, well, yeah, going. no, it, like that was that's been actually a big push for us is to have five viable classes. You know, that's the thing is we want to. When you're dealing with a live service game, you want to make sure there isn't a meta where it's like, okay, only the whirlwind barbarian can succeed, or only this type of rogue can succeed. And so, you know, we have lots of challenge. We have the capstone dungeons that you have to test yourself to move up into different world tiers of difficulty. And we have this level 100 boss that's waiting for you at the end if you think you can take them on. And we want all five classes to be able to do that and succeed. So that's something that's really great about having a live service game and and. Uh, why it's so different that we have to be sort of like as soon as we ship we're still here working because we want to make sure that that balance changes are happening and that we don't have things that are you know off kilter and and that's why you saw what happened at service line was like I got to play the necro and was like you guys overcorrected and they're like yeah you're right we did overcorrect and so they and then they, they buffed it back and and that's what we'll be doing we have not only the feedback players but we actually have pretty much non-stop telemetry and data coming back to us about time to kill and all these types of things that we can track to say oh this class is more powerful in this moment what do we need to do to balance it but it's tricky because what the classes aren't designed intentionally to be like perfectly balanced at all the same points in time that you may find that yes a level one necromancer is slightly stronger than a level one barbarian because the necro has all the skeletons and the barbarian has basic weapons but the barbarian is able to carry four weapons which means they have two more legendary slots than any other class so when they get their legendaries equipped they can be very very powerful and so it just you have to get to a point where there's more legendaries each class has their own sort of unique tw- and people playing the druid in in any of our betas couldn't get to their specialization they couldn't get to scos Glen to be able to give that druid spirit to get these boons that actually make them more powerful and so people were like oh druid is underpowered and it's like eh, you just can't get to scos Glen. like if you could get over to scos Glen, you would get a lot more powerful and so it's those sorts of things that people have to take into account that they each have their strengths and weaknesses but overall they're all supposed to be viable and i love that y'all added that dodge button this time around too because i feel like that must be super helpful when it comes to balancing because everyone at least has that option to get the hell out of dodge if they need to oh my gosh especially with like barbarian and druid who are some of our least mobile classes right that dodge button is everything and my friend i you relate more than anything when i say that it reminds me of the hayat role inside of zelda spamming that everywhere I go and then when it's on yep. cooldown I get mad at myself that I've spammed it but it's it's totally versatile um, and along with that we've added things like traversals on the side of the game and stuff too that's just providing additional mobility to the character and telling more about like the story and how people got around in that environment oh stuff. I love that addition like like going on the little zip line Isn't and yes. climbing so up and down the ladders and things. stuff well we were going on our, our girls tour down the coast <laughs> as Brittany <laughs> mentioned earlier 
I got separated from Joey, who was our level 45, who was carrying Britt and I um, through this really difficult part of the world that we decided to run into. And I was up top and she was down below fighting stuff. And I'm just like, she, I just keep like screaming as I'm like running away from these like enemies (laughs) trying to kill me. I'm like, Joey, come help me. And she was was like, I'm down here. Come down here. And I'm like, I don't know how to get down. And you can like see each other running around on the map. It was such a funny moment. I saved it to the clip and I'll have to try to find it. Yeah, because I'm in the middle of crossing like a zip line across two like big pieces of land. Andrew's just down like running. And then two seconds later, I see this mob of like 15 enemies chasing after her. And she's just squealing the whole time. It was hilarious. Like, help me. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we're we're at the end of our time already. It just feels like it just breathed by. We could obviously keep talking to both of you about the wonderful game that is Diablo 4 because as we mentioned, it is a giant game. <laughs> so much so much to talk about, but we hope that everybody listening and watching is excited to jump in and experience everything that Sanctuary has to offer for themselves. So just to kind of wrap up this really fun conversation we've been having, I would love for to hear from each of you if you're open to, to telling us maybe like a little nugget that you think players should go find in the game that you thought was a particularly cool moment, like a, a specific dungeon or a specific town or something that you're like, hey, don't forget to check out this little thing. I do have a nugget. And I, I've previously tweeted about it, but it, it's, it's, an, it's my favorite nugget, so I'll share it with you. <laughs> previously, we released how you can say hello to the dogs in town and they're friendly and you and they'll follow you around i just wonder if there are other animals that are so receptive to you saying hello cows yes curious curious cows cows maybe what's a cow what is a cow hold on don't know what you're talking about what is a cow no one knows the diablo team no one knows i think for me uh, part of it is like again don't be don't be scared of the four but I think one of the things you can look at is how do you leverage the dungeons? Like we have this thing called the Codex of Power, mm-hmm. where when you complete a dungeon, you get a, an ability that you can now put onto your equipment. And there's some early on, like especially in that opening town where you strange things happened, there's a dungeon down there that gives you a class agnostic uh, ability, which is like a, a little bit of a bubble shield when you hit an elite. And that's a good one to get early. So like if, what I would suggest is once you get to Kyovishad, Maybe turn yourself around and head down to that dungeon and find that bubble shield because that'll help you through the rest of the game. Don't, don't skip the dungeon, that. the side dungeons. <laughs> yes, there the are dungeons. there are many of them though. They are very distracting when I'm just you know <laughs> trying to get my horsey. You know, there's, for 120 <laughs> at launch. There's, there's, there's only 120. Wow. I don't know. My goodness, about. <laughs> yep. 120. Amazing. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, just congratulations to the two of you. I know this has been a long road, but you did it. The game's out. We did it. We did it. It feels surreal. I, I think at this point, honestly, every for every person that tells us, like, I'm so excited to play the game, there are five developers behind them saying, we're excited for you to play the game. We want you to play this game so badly. Just thank you for your kindness and your compliments. It, it absolutely fuels our team. And I think you can expect to see some really amazing stuff from our team in the next few years. It's going to be really great. Amazing. Well, we're excited to jump back in and start over for like, mm, I think I've lost count of how many times I've done the opening <laughs> section. I was going to make a joke. Who do you think's played the opening of Diablo 4 more, me or Rod? 
<laughs> oh, my gosh. That is a good question. He'd probably give you a run for your money, actually. <laughs> I and you still it, don't I know what class you're going to play? You still don't know what class you're going to play? No. Listen, I, I don't. I, I'm probably, I mean, I'm probably still going to go rogue because I like the, I, I, I'm just like an archer girl. Um, That's kind of oh, my, the my marksman thing. marksman rogue. It feels so nice. I the, totally the, understand. The, I like a. I like it. It's fun. The Rain of Arrows attack off the dismount is like one of the best. See, I haven't explored the Rain of Arrows a lot because I've th- that Shadow Clone's so fun. But so. I mean, when you when you jump off, you're like you come to a stop on your mount and you you're, you jump off, and ahead of you a Rain of Arrows falls where you're jumping to. It, it feels great. So yeah, I, I get why you like. I'm a, I like a good ranged character as well, but. You know, I like to tell other people what to do, so I, that's why I'm a natural. I just want like, go kill that thing and bring me the loot. It'd be good. That'd be good. <laughs> well, it is why you're the GM, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a GM simulator. The necro is just a GM simulator. It's Perfect. Simulator. You like to go around blowing up corpses, Rod. It's okay. It's true. It's true. Corpse explosion is a good one. It's pretty cool, I will say. And you don't have all the skeletons on screen, and it's great. You heard it here. Play necro if you want to feel like you're the big boss of Diablo. <laughs> yep. yep. The OP class. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, listen, like I said, I could just keep you guys here all afternoon, but I believe you have a a game that you're still actively working on. We do hope you find some time for some rest. We know the team's been working very hard up until launch and will continue working on the game. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with Britt and I about the game, and uh, hopefully we can maybe revisit this down the road and and talk more about what main everyone decided to actually go with. (laughs) (laughs) If Rod changed his mind ever. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Bye, you guys. Bye. Thank you so right, much. You. Brittany, how fun was that interview? I love it. I think that's one of my favorite parts about interviewing members of the team is you get those candid, like, Rod talking about his exploding skeletons and why the necro is <laughs> air quote, like, OP, I mean, exploding corpses. You know, because I think we forget that the people who make these games – they make them because they love them and they love playing games. And so, like, I just love hearing the candid behind the scenes of how Rod he was like, yeah, the skeletons are underpowered. You guys overcorrected. Fix that. And within hours, it was corrected. It's just fun. Uh, the power of being the GM of the ah. studio to, to bend it to the class that you want to play. I, I do appreciate that, though. So thank you again and to Ash and Rod for coming by the show and talking to us about the game. And hopefully we can get them back on the show in the future when maybe they have a big expansion or, or some fun DLC out. But... Now, without further ado, we're going to jump into our hands-on thoughts. But before we do that, I want to let you know that this week's episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Shopify. Are you looking to sell products online, or maybe you already are, but you're not really vibing with your current platform? Sounds like it might be time to jump into the online world of commerce with a platform that has already helped revolutionize millions of businesses around the world. It's time for you to get on Shopify. Whether you're selling 3D printed jewelry for dogs or custom tie-dyed underwear, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Running a growing business means getting the right insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. What's incredible to me about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with the confidence and control to revolutionize your business so you can optimize your offerings for a boutique experience or take it to the next level. 
Now, it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash what's good, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash what's good to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash what's good, all lowercase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Brittany, before we dive into our Diablo thoughts, of which there are many, I think it's a wonderful opportunity to thank our fantastic elite patrons at patreon.com slash what's good games. It's the time of the month to mispronounce your names and for some reason you keep supporting us and coming back for it. <laughs> so, hey. <laughs> it's so true. And we have some wonderful new names on the list this month as well. And a huge thank you to everybody who takes the time to continue supporting us at patreon.com slash what's good games. It means so much to Britt and I that you support our brand and and so many of these names have been with us since day one, yeah. which is incredible. We don't deserve the amazing epicness that is these people on this list. I just so thank swallowed you. a burp. That's how much she respects you. Yeah. She swallowed the burp, everybody. I did. Normally, she does not do that. All right. Let's talk about these names, shall we? I'll kick things off with Dasim. Dasim. See, I was going to say Dasime. Dasime? I don't know. You got to make it fancy. Oh, fancy. Maniacal mouse. Guy on the stick. <laughs> Robert Griffin. <laughs> Bill Rosas. Casual blasphemy. Trick 24. Omega Buster. Daniel Hall. Lynn Sovig. Ahem, Chewie's Gutson. Excess oddities. Tara Bruno. <laughs> Trent Berry. Oh, I love the way you roll that R. Sean I. Brian R. Johnston. Justin Foshi. Patrick, do your Landry. Punk Defied. Trent Pennington. Oh, God. Ferris Etier. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Jessica Bloom. Patrick Weller. <laughs> Matthew Goddard. Noelle <laughs> Chris Wang. Tyler McCall. Adrian Arak Williams. Shai Jackson Burgess. Gary Peck. Robert F. Frimering. Carl Milner. A Wall of Bill. Teresa Enert. <laughs> Andrew Cotton. Gio Corsi. Nicole Humphrey. Some guy named John Drake. That guy. That guy. And Trevor Stockey. Thank you so much, one and all, for your wonderful support. We love you. Okay, so now, all things Diablo 4. A big thank you to the team at Blizzard for providing us early preview access. Brittany and I played in the press preview. We played in the beta. And then we played in the review period. And it was a little bit different. As people that have been working in games for a long time, like Brittany and I have been. I have to say, I've never seen a review build that was open and then they took it offline and wiped our progress, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that's actually really important to mention because even though we did have a good amount of time to review this game, I think with our schedules and just everything else going on, there's no way we're going to be able to finish this game. And when I say no reason, I meant no way. Because of, you know, we only can really play in the evenings and blah, blah. Diablo 4 is a massive, massive game. And I will say, like, there was a level of almost disconnect when I was playing, knowing that 
that my barbarian, Rip Be Nasty, was going to get wiped. And so there were maybe certain quests I didn't pursue or maybe I wanted to focus more on side stuff than like the overall story mission. Because like you said, we've played, started and finished, you know, this game. And I say finish in air quotes. We got through like the end point of like whatever beta it was we were on multiple times and I want to have like a new narrative reason to look forward to like when I start the actual game you know so that was kind of interesting you know but yeah god like and here's the thing friends I actually got to play with Andrea well actually she got to play with me is what I should <gasps> it say it was amazing <laughs> it was it so was much so fun. good I know so we fun. talk about all on the show all the time that we don't really get the opportunity very often to play co-op together. Being moms, our schedules don't line up, but also Brittany is just very hard to get a hold of because she has all messaging like kind of blocked and shut down. Yeah. <laughs> and so whenever I'm like, oh, hey, see you online. Let's play. She like never gets the message. It's- and so we made it a point to say, let's play Diablo together. And the reason why we're emphasizing our specific playthrough is because even though you guys already know that we don't give traditional reviews here at What's Good, our experience with Diablo 4 was very unorthodox in the sense that neither of us made it through the whole campaign and there was a lot of the game we didn't get to see because like we mentioned, they turned the build off actually a couple of days ahead of the embargo and I needed more time. I even said to them, I go, I didn't get enough time to give my full thoughts. So These are basically like extended first impressions from what we saw from the beta period because they the whole game was available to us. And let me tell you, we attempted to see parts of the world that were way beyond our skill level and the enemies of that region clapped back at us pretty pretty hard. That was such a fun moment. Yeah, so like we said, this this world of Diablo 4, and like we can talk about the nitty-gritty in a minute, but real quick, like it's huge, right? And so one night Andrea and I were playing and Joey hopped on. And so we Joey from Kind of Funny, um, Andrea and I were playing and, you know, Maybe I had a couple drinks, who could say? And I was like, I just want to go down like the coast because on the coast of this map, there's this little island area. And I was really curious to know what was on the island. And thankfully, Joey was like, what, like level 45? 45. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And Andrea and I were a couple levels apart in like the lower 30s or whatever. And then we get down to this area. Turns out it's a 45 plus area. And uh, something I learned about you, my dear Andrea, is that I need a little toddler leash for you when we're playing. <laughs> yes. I'm very distractible. (laughs) Like Joey and I are like off in one area that all we hear is Andrea squealing and then she's like running by and bringing mobs of enemies. But that was a really, really fun moment, actually. And it was a really great cooperative memory, I think, you know, because we all got to play and Joey carried us. We're not going to lie about that. But I've played local with Jason and then I played online with you two. And the cooperative experience is just like almost, I would say almost perfect. There were some weird bugs we had, like where I could pick up a weapon that was clearly meant for you. And I don't think that was intentional by any means. And, you know, there's some camera issues when you're playing local. But other than that, my God, like if you're looking for a multiplayer game, this is it. So fun. And it worked really well cross-platform in addition to it being super fun. And that's been a very awesome thing that we've seen over the last couple of years, a lot of multiplayer games putting a focus on making sure that their title is cross-platform, which I really love. I also enjoyed that we could be in the same world together, but if I wanted to like fast travel back to town, I got my own teleport portal to go to town. I could, you know, go dump some stuff at the blacksmith or I could go craft a couple gems, do what I needed to do to clear up my inventory. And then I could jump in my own personal portal and go back and meet back up with you 
like to enter the dungeon or whatever. And the multiplayer worked really well that way. And I love that Diablo as a team and Blizzard as a team has continued to focus on that as something that is important to them, as we talked to Ash and Rod about in the interview and hearing them talk about how, you know, Rod saying, you know, doing things in life is better when you're with friends. It's like, yeah, turns out that's true. You know, being alive is, is better as a shared experience. I, I concur. So multiplayer was super fun. I mean, I think it's important for Brittany and I to emphasize this is not going to be a spoilery mm-hmm. review at all. This is going to be us talking about our our thoughts and impressions. And don't worry, we're not going to be giving away any narrative things because turns out we didn't get to the end of the story anyway because we didn't have enough time to do so. So we can all experience that together, friends. But Brittany, how much time did you spend with the last Diablo? Did you like complete everything? Yeah, yeah. I think I did a few playthroughs of that one actually. Cause I did the when the game first came out, and then what was it called? Was it Reaper of Souls? Is that what it was? The the what am I making that up? Anyway, it was like the definitive edition came out. The uh, Eternals collection? Is that no, is that what it was called? I thought it was called Reaper or was that the DLC? It doesn't matter. Either way, whatever it was. This was like 20 years ago, it feels like at this point. Even it does. It wasn't. So yeah, I played through all Diablo 3 once and then another time. And then I did all the fun stuff where, you know, you unlock like... That was the expansion. Sorry okay, to interrupt you. No, Reaper you. of Souls. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I, you know, unlocked the, the cow and rainbow level, whatever that thing is officially called. So yeah, like I've played quite a bit of time with Diablo 3 and I've always loved Diablo an issue I have had with Diablo in the past, though, is always when you get towards, like, the last final, like, maybe, like, 20% of the game. For me, I always tend to lose interest. And I think because at that point, I had maybe found the best gear I could find. The con- I had unlocked all the best the skills I could at that point. And so I'm really curious when I get to that point in Diablo 4, especially seeing how as this game is designed to last many, many, many years, how that's going to feel. Because it's just like clockwork. I always lose interest at that last like 20%. So I'm very curious to see. But yeah, I've always loved Diablo. It's always been really fun. I'm glad to hear that because I also have been a big fan. I didn't spend a lot of time with the first two Diablos. Diablo 1, I don't think I played at all. Diablo 2, I only dabbled in. But Diablo 3, I went all in on and really enjoyed my time. But I didn't play Diablo 3 a lot with other people, and I'm hoping that Diablo 4 is going to be different. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to do a lot more with friends, and I think it being fully cross-play is going to really help in that regard. What I loved about my time in the pre-release version ahead of launch was it just it's just so smooth. Just like the grind of kill the thing, smash the thing, pick up the loot, rinse, repeat just felt so satisfying. And I was playing as a rogue. Surprise, Brittany was playing as a barbarian. I bet you guys didn't anticipate that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, And I just really enjoyed my time. And as we discussed with Ashen and Rod, I I still am not 100% on who I'm going to go with my main. Yeah, so I think Barbarian, I tried the Druid in the pre-release beta stuff, and that was really cool. Uh, I love turning into a big bear. That was great. But just something about the Barbarian and those lead, those uh, epic ulti- ultra skills, what are they called? Ultimates? What's the actual term? The, yeah, the ultimate skill. Ultimate skill, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those are always so fun. I've always loved those in Diablo 3, the Barbarian skills. So I think I'm going to roll with Barbarian. So Jason has also tried mate, or Sorcerer, Necromancer, and Rogue. And so I've got to see all three of those classes pretty intimately. And the Necromancer, I think, by far is the most fun. Fun slash frustrating because there's a skill, Andrea, that lets you raise the dead. And at one point, he can have, it's like seven or eight skeletons on the screen and a golem, golem, whatever they're called, a blood golem, if you will. And they just wreak havoc. Now they're great because it takes all of like, you know, the aggro like responsibilities away from me. But oh my God, it is just pure chaos. 
So, and then you can make corpses explode and all sorts of weird, gruesome shit. But I think the the necromancer has been really fun. And that's why I think Rod has probably gravitated towards it. And that's probably why that class is, you know, very fun to play and a little powerful. Just going to throw that one out there. Yeah, I think he convinced me to maybe at least do one run as a necromancer, even though I love my bow and arrow as a rogue. I think the classes all feel so individual and so different. And I love that they all feel powerful. It was great to hear how they, the team made a point to make sure that all of the world bosses and the dungeons felt balanced for each class or didn't seem like you had to lean one way or another, either in your party makeup, if you're going to be rolling campaign uh, co-op with people, or if you're playing solo. I do think, you know, obviously, you know, you have to follow the guidelines of the world when it says, hey, maybe you should go do this story quest to unlock these extra powers for your class. Don't ignore those pieces of advice. (laughs) I ignored it for a little bit too long and I got myself into some sticky situations. I was like, why do I keep dying? And then I'm like, oh, I need to go fully upgrade my business and then keep going. <laughs> I think that's a good point to bring up because at beginning you only have two world tiers that you can do world tier one, which is like you're easier. And then you have world tier two where the enemies do more damage and they're tougher, but you get more XP. And I think probably a better uh, legendary drop rate or a better rate for uh, XP, whatever, or equipment drops. And yeah, like, you know, I will say when Jason and I are playing together and, you know, our builds are very much built to complement one another when he's the necromancer and I'm the barbarian, that we have a really easy time just kind of going through. And so I'm, I am kind of curious about the choice to just limit it to those two. I thought you have to finish the game to unlock the harder difficulties. I'm pretty sure that's what it said. But if I'm wrong, like apologies. But yeah, like, I wish I could bump the difficulty up a little bit more. But when I did play solo, because one night Jason couldn't play with me and I was waiting for you to hop on, I was doing World Tier 2 and it got a little spicy. I'm like, oh yeah, like I, I can see this now. And I did myself get into some sticky situations. That's what I love though. Man, about- maybe I just need to get good because I thought it was spicy playing solo as World Tier 1. And maybe that's because I played most of the game solo. I didn't start the game in co-op. I have always been playing solo outside of our sessions that we did. I think I didn't start playing co-op until past level 20. Mm. And as a rogue, you know, and as a ranged character, can't really absorb a lot of damage. A little bit glass cannony in that sense of, you know, like I can spec my skill tree build to be really powerful in DPS, but I can't soak damage like at all. Uh, As a rogue, there's like only one real ability that works as a shield and you can you know can get aspects and other ways to buff your overshield in the world but I mean, I can't like run in with my axe and be like, all right, you maggots, oh, spit acid in my face. I can take it. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm melting. Help me. Spit acid in my face. <laughs> That's going to be my new war cry. Give me all of your acid. But no, like going back to what you were saying earlier about it just looking so smooth and so pretty. I think the the last time I played Diablo on the big my big screen that I have the big projector screen is when we played it in a very very early state and well very early whatever but there's watermarks everywhere is what I'm trying to say watermarks absolutely everywhere so we couldn't really see like how pretty this game was and oh, it's beautiful and then the next time I played it was on my TV downstairs which is not small by any means but still like I was I was pretty blown away when I fired it up and played it on the projector for the first time and I was like oh wow like I love to play this game zoomed in when I'm having conversations with people or if I'm in the middle of some sort of like dialogue because it is so pretty and there's so much attention to detail. But I think when you have that zoomed out isometric look, you sometimes can look past that. 
But when you really look in, you're like, oh, yeah, like the attention to detail, all the little environmental storytelling from the things you see and the placements of it. It's like, oh, yeah, like they there's so much that went into this that I think can be easily overlooked. So I just want to give a shout out to any environmental folks on the Diablo team that put effort into that. I see you. It's really well even done. just the cellars, which are like your little quick hit micro mini dungeons that you're in and out of in a couple minutes. She said. The the design feels so unique to the biome that you're in, to the area of the biome that you're in. And they just all have, like you said, such great attention to detail, the lighting on the water, the texture of the rocks or the dirt of that particular area. I just remarked on how pretty it looked. I mean, obviously, it's been a while since Diablo 3. And even though they made a lot of upgrades to that game over the years, it's nothing to me visually comparative with how beautiful Diablo 4 looks. And I can only imagine how great it looks on PC. I'm playing, uh, I think both Britt and I are playing on Xbox Series X, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yes, we're playing the Xbox version of the game. So that is the comparison. And I've just been having such a great time with it. I haven't really run into really any bugs yet, which is great, even though there are some, of course. It's it's a massive game. They are doing multiple patches before the final build of the game comes out, which is today when this episode goes live. But overall, I just it's I feel like I don't want to just repeat myself from what I said from the press preview and the beta, but the game is just so great. And one of the surprises that I ran into during my review time was that the story really hit me more emotionally and more impactfully than I was anticipating it. I mean, it's Diablo, right? You're like, there's demons and the demons kill people and there's angels and like there's a bunch of monsters fighting each other and you got to go pick up some guy's knapsack he dropped out in the world in all the fetch quests you get sent on. And you're like, I'm just, you know, hack and slashing my way through this world, having a grand old time. But playing through the campaign story missions of Diablo 4 was a lot more impactful than I anticipated. And that was a really nice, pleasant surprise for me because, you know, sometimes when you play in a game like this, you just skip, skip, skip and on on with your bad self down to the next dungeon, you know? But mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to really push yourself to do the campaign before you get too lost with your exploration. It's going to be worth it. That is really, really great advice. And also talk to every NPC you come across and take all the side quests you can because there is... But only up to 20. You can can only hold 20 at a time. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. I hit that cap real quick. (laughs) (laughs) So take your own advice. Do the quest before you get lost in your exploration, right? I know. (laughs) That's always kind of one of my pet peeves in RPGs is when you have, you know, this really, really cool and neat story, but you have these NPCs that don't really add anything to that experience. They don't really add anything to the world building. But in this game, like everybody you talk to, at least everyone I've talked to so far, has had something interesting and informative to say. Something that builds this terrible dark place of sanctuary. And I yeah, I definitely encourage you to do those too. And like Andrew was saying, like this game is so much more narrative heavy, I feel like, and cinematic than Diablo 3 was. And I am so, so happy for that because Diablo has such a fascinating rich lore that I've only begun to scratch the surface on. But I wish I could, you know, learn more about it. And this, I think, game does the best job at really kind of teaching you, like, what's going on and kind of give you the history. That said, though, you don't have to have played the other Diablos to play this. I, You know, like Rod said in an interview, like, ignore the four. <laughs> don't let the four scare you away because you don't need it. But, you know, even having what experience I do from Diablo 3, it's like, oh, yeah. But, man, like, there are some moments where they tug on the heartstrings. There are some moments where I'm like, oh, did they just do that? Oh, they did? Okay. You know, the guys have played in this dark sanctuary. Is it depressing enough? You know, now you have me crying a little bit in the club. It's true. But... Yeah. 
there's just to me I'm trying to find like a negative thing to say and I can't really like the the only negative thing I have is like why are you withholding the mount from me (laughs) and that's not really a fair a fair negative thing to say because they very clearly explain why they do that and they're like go ahead you can you know just you know play through the missions you have to play through to get the mount and then you'll get your mount and it's all fine Mm -hmm. but the skill tree system feels so good this time around. It feels like I can truly make a build that feels unique and it feels like there's not penalties for me changing my mind about things. And the way that they've made changes to crafting in this game, being able to slot gems while I'm out in the field, like as soon as I pick up a stone, being able to put it in my armor is great. And I appreciate that they're like, hey, we can't let you do everything on the fly. You've got to go visit the jeweler so you can unslot the gems. And I was like, okay, but what a great compromise that I feel like I can actually make some meaningful changes without having to go back to town every single time and see all the individual merchants. I love that. I love being able to take specs from different gear. I didn't really explore a lot of that crafting of gear, moving abilities from gear to one piece of gear to another, but I love that it's in the game and really allows you to customize your gear. And having transmog like unlocked from the from the jump. Thank God. Amazing. It's so great. <sighs> Although I do like looking ridiculous as possible. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it is. It is abs- I love when I get the helms with the horns. Yeah, I think the only, and these aren't even that big of a deal, but something that I've definitely noticed is some of the events that are happening throughout the map, they can feel kind of samesies after a bit. Yes. And now, I don't know if events are based off of like where you're at in the map. If they get more varied, then maybe the farther south you go, perhaps they do. And maybe that's why they're starting to feel very samesies because I've, I've just primarily been sticking to the same area. But, you know, they don't take that long, so it's not like it's a huge deal. But so far, you know, if we had gotten maybe a few different variations, that would have been appreciated. And there's just maybe been a couple of times narratively when I've been talking to somebody and a very major event happened and the quest just ends after I disclose some pretty like shitty news to someone. It's like, okay, quest end, here's your next, where you would anticipate in a normal conversation, someone would have something to say about what had happened. It feels like something would have happened. I'm thinking of one instance in particular, and I'm not going to spoil it, but maybe it was a bug and it didn't trigger. But I mean, that's kind of it. Like I'm having so much fun picking and choosing, like you were saying, the different skills for my barbarian. And it, there's hardly any penalty. Like the, the, the amount of gold I had by the end of our review, I think it was like 250 thousand or something and the cost oh girl you weren't spending that no nah. i was i was broke almost the whole time because i was buying upgrades after upgrades after upgrades i was like i want to explore exactly how i can spend my money in this world because that does happen right you just start hoarding stuff and in a game like diablo we're constantly getting loot drops but that's why like, i stopped yeah, it's like what's the what's the bonus to upgrading your stuff when you can just get the next thing? But there will come a time where you'll get that magic piece of gear. And for me, it was an amulet for my rogue that increased my attack speed by 44%. Oh, yeah. And it was like I was just like pew, 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 pew in my arrows off of my off of my bow. And I was just like, this is the most amazing <laughs> item ever. I can't not keep upgrading it. I mean, that's it. Is That's the thing is I was upgrading my weapons. But what I was finding, especially earlier on, before you really start getting those legendaries, is that you're going to get weapons that are going to be better than what you just spent all the money. And I don't know if that's a balancing issue or if that's just your typical RPG shenaniganry. You're going to love a weapon. You're going to put a lot of money in general into it and then you're gonna find something five minutes yep. later that's a little mm-hmm. bit better and we all know that feeling that definitely 
definitely happened to me. Yep. I like paid to add because I love that you could pay to add gem slots to gear. Yes. So I paid to add gem slots to a piece of gear and then I upgraded it at the blacksmith and then I fused some gems and I had it all kitted out and then boom, one dungeon later and a better piece of gear dropped that was like 50 points higher and I was like, no, why are you doing this to me, Diablo? Oh yeah, I definitely salvaged a whole bunch of equipment just because I refused to get rid of my legendary. I'm like, no, this thing is way too cool. But you know, like we were talking in the interview, you can eventually, you know, take those those passives and add it to different armor. And I think in weapons, I think that's what I'm most excited about. As I feel like I've heard many times during some, you know, previews and, and interviews with the developers that like the campaign is kind of your tutorial to Diablo 4. Think of it as that. Of course, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to play a lot. You're going to have an incredible time. It's going to feel like a full game. But after you finish that, and then you can hopefully bump up the difficulty, however that works, whatever. When shit starts getting real, you can really start taking advantage of some of the in-game systems and mechanics where you can really min-max your character to the fullest. And I think that's what I'm really looking forward to. Because right now I'm kind of at a point where as long as my weapon hits hard enough and I maybe put like a little bit of effort into my skills and the balancing, like I'm usually, I'm pretty good to go. But I want to be forced to get to that point where like if I don't spend some time, I know I'm going to get screwed. And like that's like that's what what I'm really excited for. But I think that might unlock later on. Not unlock, but might be more relevant later on. And like that's what yeah, I really game. want to get to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was things, the whole parts of the end game that we didn't even come close to seeing. Like the par- whole Paragon menu mm-hmm. doesn't unlock until level 50. And neither Brittany or I were able to get to level 50 in the time that we had to play the game before launch. But this game is going to have a long tail. There's going to be a lot to play. And I just have been continually impressed by the amount of work the team put in and the level of polish that we've seen in this game. And, you know, we're going to have to wait and see how the servers go because we historically know that that's been a tough thing for any game that has an online component to it that the beta periods were a little rough for some players. And because we're recording this in advance, we obviously don't know how that launch is going to go, but I'm confident that they'll be able to work out those issues just like most games that have an online component do over the course of the first, you know, couple of days, at least fingers crossed. Yeah. We've been spoiled with our less than one minute queue. Yes, exactly. In this kind of very quiet pre-release period. But I'm just trying to think of, you know, what else I could could say. I think, you know, what might be interesting for people is the freedom to be able to mix and match your abilities between your ultimate skill, your basic abilities that you can fire all the time, and then your, you know, more impactful, powerful punch abilities that require, you know, your energy meter. I loved finding that balance for me of what are my basic skills going to be? What is the special ability I want to use? And then when am I going to save for my ultimate ability yeah. in which situation? And like the kind of round robin of fire those different abilities all together. And I think Diablo as a franchise has done that well, but there's something about the way that they laid out the skill tree this time around that just makes it feel like like it just sings in a way that makes it so fun to play. It is so fun to play. And like I was saying earlier, and you even mentioned this too, it doesn't cost you a lot to respec. And so it is just constant. And it feels, that makes the whole gameplay experience feel so fresh because you're always changing your skills if you want. You know, when I'm playing by myself, I have to have a complete different setup than when I'm playing with someone else. You know, when I was playing with Andrea and Joey, I had to get all of my shouts in a row so I could taunt people and buff us. And it was just kind of fun to shout and show off a little bit. Let's be real. You were super boss. 
It was I, great. I, train, I try to see. You know, I'm a very, like, nice, calm person, but in video games, I turn into an <laughs> aggressive, like, face take, like, don't fuck with me. Anyway, but no, like, that's what's so cool about it. So even though I'm playing as a, barba- a barbarian, I can do, like, 10 million different builds of a barbarian, like, depending on what play style I want that day. And it, like I said, it's so cheap to respec. So you can just do it on the fly. It is just like so much fun to play and so much fun to explore. You know, I love that there's a pin system and I don't remember if this was in Diablo 3, but this map is so huge. The fast travel is great, but you can pin a location and it gives you a line to follow on your mini map. Oh, so, you it's know, such it's, a lifesaver. Oh, so yeah, you know exactly where to go. And when you're playing multiplayer, you can see other people's pins and it just makes it so great. So if you do want to go off the beaten path and explore, because you're probably going to find an altar of Lilith if you look hard enough. Oh, they're everywhere. Like you have to look hard because yeah. you'll see on your map that the region you're in has like 30 altars of Lilith. And you're like, where? Where, where, where are, are they, they though? <laughs> yeah. You're going to find those. You're going to find cell. You're going to find dungeons and strongholds and events, and there's just so much to do. And that's why I was saying at the top of this, I almost felt a little disconnected knowing that my character was going to get wiped because I feel like in my forever playthrough, I'm going to want to venture off and do all of those things all the time. But I had to kind of choose like, which, what do I want to focus on for this like brief review period? So yeah, like I am beyond excited, even though this is going to be what, like the sixth time we've started this <laughs> game know. to hop back in and, uh, and start my forever be nasty barbarian. Oh, it's going to be great. Well, listen, we could keep gushing on and on about Diablo 4, but we know y'all just want to go play it. So maybe you're playing it right now, listening to the podcast as you're leveling up your your first main. We definitely will be talking more about Diablo in the future. But as we alluded to and mentioned earlier, next week's episode is going to be our annual predicted by Magic 8 Ball because Summer Game Fest and the showcases are coming and we're excited to do that episode. And then we'll have our recap episode of everything we get to see during all of those shows. So we probably won't get to Diablo for at least a couple of weeks. So hopefully you guys will have plenty of time to run around Sanctuary and find some hidden stuff and Easter eggs and, you know, kill a bunch of evil undead people. Or if you're like Joey, she just kills all the animals. <laughs> she kills more than just the animals. <laughs> I love that that's the thing that stuck out to you from our play theory. Well, like, you know she why? just killed all the deer. You know why? Because I do the same thing. And I justify it by saying that, listen, Sanctuary is a fucked up place. No animal. Like, why? There should be no Bambis in Sanctuary. Like, Bambi doesn't no. belong there. So I'll <laughs> do you a service, Bambi, and let you meet your maker a little early. Dark? A little bit. I think Diablo's from Listen, I'm a venison fan, so oh, it's venison. not that dark for me. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, everybody, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have fun in Diablo, and we will see you for Magic 8 Ball next week. Don't forget, whatsgoodgames.com slash DearWGG if you have questions you would like us to ask the 8 Ball. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.